Social justice issues have dominated the headlines and have crept into the consciousness of our minds when we view today's world events both in and out of a vacuum. However, the question still remains, how will this period of history be documented in our history books? Dr. Amber Godwin is an assistant clinical professor at the Department of Teaching and Learning College of Education at Sam Houston State University. She joined me this week to discuss how recent current events will affect the arc of history. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Professor, if you're ready, I'll welcome you to the program, and I'm excited to tackle some social justice issues with you this morning. Great to be with you this morning, and thanks for being here. It's awesome to be here with you, Kevin. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, Professor, when we look at the art of of social justice, I'm curious uh, if we can start uh, our conversation this morning by what happened on January 6th at the Capitol of the United States, and how do you think that'll be viewed in the history books when we look back in history? That's a great question. You know, I don't know, and I don't know, I don't know how... Hmm. William Faulkner said this thing one time. He said the past isn't even past. And I think there's something really dynamic in what he said. And I think it applies here to what happened in the Capitol building. Um, I think for many people, the ideas of social justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion seem um, vague or foggy or not inclusive. And I think that maybe because some people don't understand that diversity and equity and inclusion means that everyone gets a seat at the table and everyone gets to have an equal voice and an equal story. I think perhaps what happened at the Capitol building will continue to make those kinds of what some people might identify as hard conversations more critical in order for our nation to heal. And when we look at uh, social justice as a whole, Professor, I'm wondering your thoughts on how uh, the arc of history will look at the evolution of social justice. I am too. I mean, I think we all are. I think that social justice began in a context that perhaps meant one thing 
and maybe it has evolved to mean other things. I think for me personally, I tend to contextualize things from the eyes of a teacher because I have been a teacher. I've been a teacher so long that I've been a teacher more in my life than I haven't been a teacher. And that's really weird when you get to that point in your career. I'm sure you can relate where all of a sudden you recognize that everything in your life is kind of, you see through this lens. Um, as I told you before, I've taught in Florida, I've taught in Texas, and I've, I've had so many students globally, like global students. I'll have a student that walks into my class you know, with blonde hair and blue eyes, and he will not speak any English and be Muslim and be a refugee from Syria. I've had a student walk into my class in a full hijab, and yet she's like extremely bubbly and a part of every club and cheerleading and all of these things and wonderful. I've had students that have come into my class. Um, I had an African student come into my class who was from Japan, and he was starkly upset that no one understood that he had a backstory in Japan, and he's from Japan. He's Japanese. Like, why do people not understand this? He was so confused, and it was beautiful and wonderful. And so when I think of social justice, I see the faces of my students. Oh, I promised myself I was not going to get emotional about this, but I've been teaching so long. You know, and when you're a teacher, your students become a part of your family. And, and my students deserve justice. And my students all deserve a voice. And they all deserve to tell their story. So that leads into my next question in terms of how you think uh, social justice has positively affected the arc of history in terms of diversity. I'm assuming... Uh, <clears throat> Part of your last answer would formulate this one, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I think that I think that when you think about history, some people are like, oh, history is something we're doomed to repeat. We don't need to repeat it. Well, I'm a historian and I've been teaching history for what feels like 87 years. Um, and when I when I think back over the lessons that we've learned in history and as in the dynamic of the community in my classroom as a teacher when we explore these issues together of the past, issues of the past, this thing happened, how do you feel? And I was teaching these global issues to a global community of students in my global classroom, which included students who had lived, you know, in Houston their whole life, but they've lived in a global microcosm their whole life. And we've thought about, you know, um, something random, some completely random, the witch trials. Were they fair? Was that equitable? Were, was there representation there? Was it just? Um, Hammurabi's code, was that just? And, and those kind of allow us to take social justice and put it in kind of a different place. So it's safe for my students to address issues of equity and inclusion and representation and fairness in a way that doesn't directly, um, directly face something that may to them be raw or hurtful or scary. But I think that by them having the opportunity to place those thoughts in that dialogue and that exchange in a place that's outside of this moment together, that it strengthened us, number one, as a class family, but that it also helps strengthen them as global critical thinking citizens that they are today. And uh, Professor, I don't have to tell you that racial justice is a hot button issue in the headlines these days and the Black Lives Matter movement has taken uh, center stage in the headlines. I'm wondering your thoughts on the evolution of the movement, particularly because 
there are so many people of so many different races and religions that have embraced the movement and joined uh, in the fight for racial equality. We saw yesterday, of course, that President Biden signed an executive order having to do with racial justice. I'm wondering your thoughts on uh, the evolution of the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Oh my gosh, there's so much to say about it, right? Um, the three women that started the Black Lives Matter movement, one of them was a Nigerian immigrant. And I, I really am curious about the role that intersectionality played in their decision to move forward in creating this movement, or if the movement, if they just were like, this is a spark and let's make this happen, because there needs to be more dialogue, Black Lives Matter. And other people have gotten on board with this as well. Um, if, if you could, I think when we, when we look at the annals of history, the Black Lives Matter movement will be seen as a catalyst. I'm trying to come up with the best way to say this, and sometimes I'm not very articulate. But I think the Black Lives Matter movement will be seen as a catalyst to making what some people perceive as hard, but necessary and essential conversations. And I think that's the best thing about it. Um, I think that I think if you heard um, Dolly Parton's response to, well, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? She's like, well, yeah, Black Lives Matter. All lives matter. I mean, who thought that only their life mattered? I just, I love Dolly Parton. I love her message. I think that how she's saying, well, yeah, everybody needs the opportunity to feel like they're going to be kept safe. Um, and that, again, makes me reflect on my students. I've lost five students throughout my tenure as a teacher. And two of them were African-American, two of them were Latinx, and one of them was Pacific Islander Asian. And when I think back to the loss of those lives, two were lost to murder. Um, one was an African-American male. And I don't know that there was a system in the circumstance that he was lost. I'm trying not to cry right now. Um, I don't know that there was a system to bring justice to what happened to him. And I don't know that there was a system in place to bring justice to what happened to my Asian Pacific Islander student who is a female. I, I, and I think that their lives matter to me so much and to their own families and to the other students that were a part of our class family. And for me, yes, the annals of history needed, we needed this movement. And, and I'm hoping that no one else will ever have to lose their life in this manner for us to have more attention to this issue. Well, I appreciate uh, you sharing that emotional uh, part of your uh, <laughs> teacher. No, I'm serious. I appreciate you sharing that emotional part of your professional life because I think uh, more so than ever uh, this year, I've embraced the whole concept of vulnerability and being vulnerable and being open. So it's important to have these discussions because I think it advances the conversation forward. So I appreciate that. Of course, I can't help it. My students will tell you if you ever meet any of them, they'll be like, oh, Mama G, she cries. Like <laughs> she feels feelings and it's okay. And I think that, you know, part of Part of, I like how you said that you've learned to embrace vulnerability because yeah, I mean, is that a movement too? I think there's a social movement for that as well, for that honesty and that allowing ourselves to be authentic to who we are. And I wonder, I wonder how close that is with social justice and how close that is with the BLM movement. I, I, think, I think that us becoming more honest with each other, I think maybe that's what this is all about. 
And how do you think uh, the Black Lives Matter movement can be sort of extended in terms of the progress that it's already made? You know, I just think, keep going. I think for some people, the idea of like anti-racist education is really scary because they're like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm racist? Well, it doesn't matter. It's about creating community for your students and about making your students feel safe. I think this isn't about us. I think this is about our children. I think this is about our students. I think this is about becoming more informed as global citizens, teachers, parents, community members, to make sure everybody that is here, that's, that's here and everybody that's somewhere else is also embraced. I've been attending a lot of these UNESCO meetings. I think you would find them really interesting um, about how we can continue conversations about anti-racial rhetoric and anti-genocide. Today, I'm actually gonna attend a Holocaust remembrance ceremony in a little while. Um, I attended a an UNESCO meeting about women and genocide last week, and we were talking about how women have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Um, and I think that that the UNESCO people, the administration there was profoundly impacted by the efforts of the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. And that I think that that prom 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 promoted, provoked, inspired a word, something like that, um, them to launch these workshops that they've been offering online. And I think that speaks to the power of the movement. And you brought it up, so I'll follow up with the next question about COVID-19 and the response to it in the United States. It's been uh, uh, sort of uh, disproportionately different than the rest of the world. So how do you think the uh, pandemic will impact history as well? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. <laughs> such a good question. And, you know, knowing the United States is in a different, we're in a different place. I live in Texas. I have the privilege that my children can learn from home and that I can work from home. I, I know I have that privilege. Um, as a professor, we're allowed to have hybrid or blending learning environments so our students are able to meet with us virtually or face-to-face, -face, whichever their comfort level is. But I know that I have colleagues and friends that live in different states that maybe don't have those same opportunities. Um, but then I have like a writing partner that lives in Washington and their family's been in lockdown. So I think that when we reflect on COVID-19 and the impact of this pandemic on the people globally, that will be a really interesting comparison to people who had different regional and maybe even state experiences in the United States um, in the context of this pandemic and how that effect will play out in an, a political, economic, social sense in the next 10 years will be really interesting. Um, I think there's hope though, Kevin. I think something that a lot of people forget, at least a lot of my students forget, so I wanna make sure I plug it here, is that we're here as the descendants of people who have survived pandemics in the past, all of us. So even though this is hard in so many ways, in so many dimensions, I think it's gonna be okay. Well, uh, I appreciate that uh, boost of optimism. I think, uh, uh, especially with our uh, political and social climate over there in the United States, I think uh, a little bit of optimism goes a long way, don't you, Professor? 
Absolutely. I do. I think it's important for us to find the sunshine. It's easy. It's easy to see the things that are bad and it's easy to have despair. But I think that keeping the sunshine is important. Uh, Professor, I am also curious to get your uh, thoughts as an educator, obviously, uh, you've dedicated your life to the profession. So I'm also curious to get your thoughts on uh, when we talk about social justice and teaching it in schools, is there a particular area you wish was more emphasized when we talked about uh, social justice? And do you think uh, we've done a good job at advancing this current climate of social justice forward in schools? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> I think in the American history, okay, so I am a world historian. I teach AP world history. Well, I used to teach AP world history. Now I'm a professor, so I get to teach a different sort of class. I get to teach um, social studies methods. I think that one of the things that I took great pride in as a K-12 educator was that I was able to adhere to the advanced placement college board um, curriculum for world history, which allowed me to provide voice to everyone. The idea that everyone has agency and that there is no, history is kinetic. It's not potential energy. History is always with us. And I think that that is something we need to continue to grow and develop in our curriculum. I think we need to continue to seek out voices. There are some really powerful resources online like the Library of Congress, which is free, which there are free resources that provide different perspectives on things that have happened in history. Fordham Hellsall, they have a modern source book that you can check out for free um, online that was started by Professor, I think Professor Hellsall in 1994. I could be wrong. It could have been 1995. I'm sorry, Professor Hellsall, if you're watching this. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but he started this source book with the intention that people needed to get their hands on authentic voice in history and different perspectives of history. And I think that's what we need to continue to grow and develop in is this idea that there are always two sides to the tortilla. There's never just one person's experience. And sadly, and I just had this conversation with a student yesterday, we are never going to be able to completely recreate history to have a full 365 degree understanding of any historic phenomenon ever, period. We never will. But we can provide resources about what we have available. Like I can talk to you about Ibn Battuta and I can hear about, we can look at his documents about how he felt on his travels or we can learn about Mansa Musa or we can look at Chief Powhatan and we can see what was written about them. We can see what people wrote about the Aztecs but we don't really have a lot of sources from the Aztecs to someone else. We have some of them, those are interesting and that's what we need to read. I don't just wanna hear what Cortez said. I wanna know what other people said too. So I think continuing to grow in that arena is something that will then in effect impact social justice by providing voice to people of the past that have perhaps been silenced previously. And Professor, as you know, uh, I was born with what's called uh, spastic uh, quadriplegic cerebral palsy. It just simply means that I uh, don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. And 
and affects things such as my muscle memory and muscle movement. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on on, on the progress we've made in sort of including in the inclusive uh, participation of individuals with disabilities uh, in society and how we've evolved from that perspective from a historical perspective as well. I think that's a great question. I think neurodiversity, disability, disability, um, even differences in formation, you know, like the Children's Craniofacial Awareness Association here in the United States is something that I support. Um, financially, verbally, I'm always getting the word out. Kids Craniofacial Association is super important for children that are born with, um, with different facial differences. Um, I think neurodiversity is something that's becoming a hot topic. I think disability is something that we need to have more dialogue on, honestly. I think neurodiversity is the next thing that we really need to start bringing to the forefront. Um, in my classroom, when I've had students who are neurodiverse or who have disabilities, um, we have just, that's part of our class family and we just move forward and this is who we have and this is how we work. Um, I think though that perhaps for some people that there's an underlying fear that they will say or do something wrong. And I think sometimes that fear in many of the issues we've addressed today is the bottom line as to why, why conversations haven't moved forward. And I hope that we continue to have courage and vulnerability in bringing those issues to light. And uh, Professor, I'm going to uh, combine my last two questions because I'm also uh, curious to get your thoughts on how you've evolved as an educator, particularly during the last year and a half of so, so much political and social unrest happening over there in America. And how do you think uh, we'll evolve this conversation, say, in the next three to five years? Wow. You know, that's a big question. I think as a good, I think as an educator, a good practice is always to be self-reflective. Um, I didn't even come into education on purpose. Kevin, I did not want to be a teacher. Boom, no interest. I was very not excited about being an educator. I started my career as a historian um, and I wanted to join the Peace Corps because I thought I wanted to go where people needed help. And I refused to buy a printer. This is going to make you laugh. I refused to buy a printer. I was like, that's ridiculous. Computers are going to go away. This technology thing's just a fad. I was so wrong. Um, but one of my colleagues, one of my classmates was like, well, why don't you just start substitute teaching? You know, you're about to graduate college and they have printers you can use when you're substitute teaching. So I did. And I was, you know, as a substitute in a classroom using the printers where I was teaching, um, I realized there was a population of students here in the United States and the schools that needed help and I didn't need to leave to have that service that I craved. I think that informed my life as an educator. And I think that every year I find myself changing and evolving and learning new ways to engage with my students and practice inclusion. And, and I don't even know that inclusion is a word, just forming good class community forming understandings and awareness, advocacy, informed action to keep your students safe and feeling loved and like they can learn together and learn in their community, in the classroom, and then bring that into their life. Um, I think in the last year and a half, 
that has only changed in that I have gone from doing that in a face-to-face -face capacity to finding ways to make that same community feeling work in an online forum. And I think that's the key. Um, when I reflect on when I reflect on my class families and who my students have become, my students have become doctors. My students work at Disney and Pixar. My students have gone, you know, and conquered the world. They have families, they're teachers. I've had some of my former high school students now as college students who are becoming teachers of history. Um, we've laughed, we've cried, I've been to their weddings. I think that keeping that focus on community is the key to being successful and continuing to make it make it through the pandemic. And when I say make it through with the quotes, you know, I don't even know how to how to portray what I'm trying to say in a way that makes sense because I don't know this is life, you know. If you read the tell of two cities at the beginning of it, they talk about this is the best of times, this is the worst of times. There have been hard times through history and teachers Teachers in today's world are having to evolve through this hard time. And I think it's not just me. I think a lot of a lot of my colleagues are kind of echoing the same sentiment that they're just working to build that community. Hey, uh, Professor, I really enjoyed our uh, diverse and inclusive conversation about social justice, history and the evolution of society this morning. And I want to thank you for being here and I want to thank you for your time. It's most appreciated. Kevin, anytime you want to chat, you just let me know. I had a great time.